RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. We'd like to share an interview with you from the recent past. This story was proven popular among fellows at the time, and we believe new listeners to Post-Op Podcast will enjoy it too. We do hope you enjoy this interview with Dr Harvey Coates from July 2018. Australian Aboriginal children living in remote communities have the highest rates of middle ear infection in the world. The underlying cause is the acute poverty these children are born into. For more than four decades, Dr Harvey Coates has offered his services as a paediatric otolaryngologist by flying to these remote parts each year to treat children with chronic ear infections. Dr Coates is of the highest regard in this field of health. He's past chairman of the Aboriginal Subcommittee of the Australian Society of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery. And he's been appointed an Officer of the Order of Australia for his work and research in ear disease in Aboriginal children. Dr Coates's first trip to an isolated Indigenous region came from an invitation in 1978. His late colleague, Andrew Campbell, asked him to help out at the Carnarvon Onslow Aboriginal Communities. He's talking to Chris Ashmore. One visit was all it took to be aware that otitis media and its sequelae was a major issue warranting attention. The fact that we have the worst middle ear disease in our Aboriginal people in the world was a motivator to try and make a difference, both clinically and in the research field, and to slowly but surely see improvement over the years. Now, what places in Australia do you go to, Harvey, and how long does it take to reach these isolated communities? Well, at present, mainly the Kimberleys with the Kimberley Aboriginal Medical Service and the West Australian Country Health Service, but also the Pilbara and the Goldfields with the Earbus Foundation of Western Australia. Some isolated communities, such as Billy Luna, require a two-and-a-half-hour flight from Perth to Broome, a similar duration flight by light aircraft to Belgo at the edge of the Tanami Desert, and then a, an hour's four-wheel drive to the community. Now, what kind of ear infections do you find in these regions and how do they compare with the rest of the Australian population? Well, as opposed to urban Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal children where acute otitis media and glue ear are the most common middle ear conditions, in remote communities, chronic separative otitis media or the draining ears are the main issue. Aboriginal children on average spend 32 months of their first five years with middle ear fluid and hearing loss compared with only three months for the non-Aboriginal child. And in Australia, we have 100,000 people, mainly Aboriginal children, with chronic tympanic membrane perforations, significantly higher than the 4% that the World Health Organization states is a major health problem. In fact, in some communities, it's up to 70%. What can be done to help improve ear health in Indigenous communities? Chronic suppurative otitis media is a disease of poverty and it was common on the docks in Liverpool in the 18th century. The causes are related to the social determinants of health, overcrowding, lack of running water, hygiene, poor nutrition and lack of access to medical care. So attention to these measures first, as has occurred in urban Aboriginal Australia, improves ear health. 
One small community I visited recently in the Kimberleys had no middle ear disease in any of the 11 children we saw. There was no overcrowding and they had fresh water and they had a hunter-gatherer type of healthy diet. In addition, the most important ear team member is the Aboriginal health worker who helps prevent otitis media and treats the disease in the community at the coalface. Could you tell us about the famous swimming pool study you were involved with? Yes. In 1999, the then West Australian State Aboriginal Affairs Minister, Dr Kim Hames, who was a former GP, asked uh, former Australian of the Year and uh, Professor Fiona Stanley and I to develop a measure of the effect of putting swimming pools into remote Aboriginal communities and greening the surroundings. This led to what is now Telethon Kids Institute going into communities such as Burrungurra and Jigalong to assess the outcomes. Not only were the children's ears better, but their eyes, skin, noses and chest were as well. And in addition, with a no school, no pool, truancy dropped and there was an elevation and community spirit as the pools became a community focus. This was published in BMJ, and since that time, some 20 pools have been introduced to remote Aboriginal communities throughout the country. Now, you have a vision of a portable surgery clinic, or the surgical bus. What is that, and has it been achieved? In short, we have buses which treat children but are not surgical buses. In New Zealand, the late Sir Patrick Esdale Moore who uh, incidentally took out my tonsils, <laughs> delivered 13 variety club ear buses, uh, which delivered services to middle ear conditions in Maori and, and non-Maori children in New Zealand. We've duplicated that in WA with three ear buses from the Earbus Foundation of Western Australia visiting the goldfields, Kimberleys and the southwest to see and treat Aboriginal children with otitis media. Now, surgical buses have been used in New Zealand, New South Wales and the UK to provide timely day surgery in the local communities and you can have up to nine different diagnostic and surgical specialties involved. So with two and a half million square kilometres, WA is an obvious place to supply such a mobile surgical facility. It just requires funding and the political will to accomplish it. It's a dream but I hope it's one that will be accomplished in my lifetime. Now, since you began visiting these remote locations, has there been much change, much improvement with the conditions of ear infections? Yes, there's slow but steady progress, but until those social determinants are addressed, we'll not see the closing of the gap in ear health that we need. Now, you've been working with the World Health Organisation on ear health manuals. Can you tell us about that? Yes, the World Health Organization has three ear health manuals which address different target groups from teachers and parents, community Aboriginal health workers, through to health workers, nurses, medical students, GPs and surgical trainees. They're currently being revised and over the last several years I've been able to help out in Geneva with our previous experience with three Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander ear health manuals that we developed in Australia. They're evidence-based and are supplemented with 
videos of common procedures. Well, no doubt we still have a long way to go to achieve better outcomes for Aboriginal children in remote areas of uh, Australia. But how optimistic are you about the future? I'm optimistic. The federal and state governments are realising that middle ear disease is a major chronic disease. If you can't hear, you can't learn. And attention to developing a roadmap to improve ear health will help prevent some of the outcomes of long-term hearing loss. These include lack of education, unemployment and interaction with the judiciary. It's untenable that 93% of Aboriginal prisoners in Darwin Jail have a long-term hearing loss and that of the children in remand in one of the prisons in Perth, that 50% almost of the children have a long-term hearing loss as well. Well, finally, on a personal note, you've achieved many things in your career from which you've received an Officer of the Order of Australia Award. What gives you the most satisfaction when you look back on what you've done? Well, I guess semi-retired is a word, although I've retired from private practice, there's still outreach visits, advocacy, teaching and research. With my colleagues and researchers at the Telethon Kids Institute, we've made significant breakthroughs in understanding the pathogenesis of middle ear infections. The other collaborative work was starting the first large-scale newborn hearing screening program in Australia in 2000. And with my late colleagues, Dr. Victor Baer and Dr. Ted Beckenham, co-founding the first paediatric ENT society in Australasia. But above all, working with my Aboriginal friends and colleagues, especially my good friend and role model, Professor Kelvin Kong, we look after the ear health, and it is a privilege, of Aboriginal children. And that's a joy. Dr. Harvey Coates. RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. You can reach the Bongiorno National Network on plus 613 9863 3111.